From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. We've got a special episode for you today from our friends at the Jesuit Border Podcast. This podcast is hosted by two Jesuit fathers, Brian Strasberger and Louis Hotop, who live and work on the U.S.-Mexico border. Each week on their podcast, they talk about their daily lives and ministry to migrants on both sides of the border, and they interview local leaders about how they are responding to current migration realities, whether that's by providing sanitation and first aid in the Matamoros migrant camp or by housing migrants released from U.S. detention. On this episode, they talked to Bishop Mark Seitz of the Diocese of El Paso, Texas. Bishop Seitz is a fierce advocate for migrants in El Paso and Juarez, Mexico. He has criticized policies such as Remain in Mexico and Title 42, an ongoing pandemic-era policy that continues to expel migrants and asylum seekers back to dangerous situations in Mexico. You might have read news stories about the binational masses that Bishop Seitz can celebrate with the Bishop of Juarez and Las Cruces, gathering communities at one altar on the border between Mexico, Texas, and New Mexico. The most recent mass, a few weeks ago, took place on a makeshift bridge across the Rio Grande in remembrance of all the migrants who died crossing the river in 2022. Louis and Brian talked to Bishop Seitz about the symbolism of these masses and how breaking bread can also break down borders. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello and welcome to the Jesuit Border Podcast. This podcast explores the humanitarian response along the U.S.-Mexico border from a Catholic perspective. My name is Louis Hotop. And I'm Brian Strasberger. We're a pair of Jesuit priests missioned to the Diocese of Brownsville, Texas. We're not from the border, but we live here now. This podcast highlights some of the work that the Catholic Church and others are doing to address the needs along the border. The Jesuit Border Podcast is edited and produced by the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post. Let's begin. Vamos! In this episode, we're going to talk about the Eucharist as a bridge across borders. We will be interviewing Bishop Mark Seitz, the Bishop of the Diocese of El Paso, Texas, where he has served since 2013. El Paso is also on the Texas-Mexico border, but it's the whole other side of the state, so we're almost a thousand miles apart. He's an outspoken advocate in the church for the poor and the vulnerable, including migrant families and refugees. Stay tuned for that interview. But first, let's talk a little bit about the Eucharist and how we see it as a bridge across borders in our ministry here. As we've talked about before on this podcast, last year was our our first year of priesthood, and we were missioned here to the Diocese of Brownsville to work with with people on both sides of the border. And in a particular way, our celebration of the Eucharist has kind of become a center point of our ministry. 
It began in the plaza in Reynosa when we were going across to celebrate Mass, and slowly but surely a, a community formed around that Mass. We had a choir and servers and lectors and people who would pray the rosary before. We even had small groups that broke out after the Mass to do some faith sharing. So it really became quite a community. But then, as you know, the plaza was broken up and, and people were accepted into the United States, many of them. And so we had to find a new community. And we turned to the sisters in Mexico, the sisters in Reynosa, who run Casa del Migrante. And that's where we started celebrating Mass yet again. That's right. It's one of the shelters, established shelters that's in Reynosa and continues to be at or at capacity. It has space for about 200 people and it's run by Daughters of Charity. And there are three sisters full-time in that community who are working at the shelter. And we just love them and we love sharing mass with them and all the people who are staying at the at the shelter at the time. And so the way the way it looks, you know, they've got They've got a number of dormitories and a kitchen space on the shelter, but there's this large covered courtyard, which is where they set out all these folding chairs. Then they bring out from the back this giant wooden altar and this metal ambo to set up for kind of our makeshift chapel in their outdoor courtyard. And then we uh, gather together. The sisters sing songs. Sor Catalina is leading the music, and they have song sheets and everything. They they really do try to make a, a community out of it. Uh, and and one of the one of the great things that's come up is we've had we've had people who are willing to read, and we've even had some servers emerge from the from the young people that are there. That's right. One of the examples of servers is someone uh, who's been. Uh, at Casa del Migrante recently, and that's a young boy named Vincent, uh, who's 12 years old. He came from southern Mexico, traveling with his mom and younger sister. There's a lot of violence uh, that's causing a lot of problems in southern Mexico. So they've traveled north uh, looking for safety and security. And that first day that I walked in and met him, I, I was struck in particular by the cross that was hanging around his neck. And so I just went up and said hello and introduced myself and asked him about about that cross. And he started talking about it and uh, how he brought it with him from his hometown and how important and valuable it was to him. So I could just tell that this was uh, this is a 12 year old kid, but talking very uh, openly about about his faith and identifying well with this religious symbol. And so I just thought it was like, well, you know, have you ever have you ever been an altar server before? And he piped up and said, oh, yeah, you know what? I have. I've done that in my church. I was like, well, well, great. Why don't you be our altar server? You know, I mean, we're always just kind of winging it. Like, who's here? Who can help? It's a constant changing of people who are coming into Casa del Migrante or leaving or whatever. So there's a lot of turnover. So you don't have this stable of ministers that are on a regular rotation that you might find at a parish. But here we had Vincent, our new uh, altar server at our masses at Casa del Migrante. And so we invited him to sit next to us and serve and help us serve during mass. And just like any 12-year-old altar server, he's been a little nervous sometimes. (laughs) He gets a little nervous. You know, he wants to know exactly how to do it and when to do it and just to get it right. And one of the big center points of that has been the bells. When do you ring the bells? are so important in people's minds. When do you ring the bells? How do you ring the bells? How do you get it just right? Is it three rings? Is it one long ring? (laughs) How do you know when to stop? It's all, it's so much about the bells. But Vincent, you know, he's been a real trooper. He, the first few times, first couple of times, 
times we've had mass together. He he was a little hesitant, didn't quite know when to do it, didn't get the bell quite loud enough, but he stuck with it, you know. And 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 Brian led him through a couple of a uh, couple of training sessions to get the bells just right. But even then, he still asks before mass, you know, is it is it is it when you lower the hands or is it when you pick up? It, it's both. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had to do a little rehearsal after mass. So one day I was like, you know what? Like I want you to ring these confidently. So, you know, because it's so quiet during the celebration of the liturgy and, and that can be a punctuating noise when you ring the bell. So a 12 year old kid who's always nervous, like already nervous, like just rings it like ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, let it, let it ring, you know, give me a ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. And so we did some practices and it was like, if I hold it vertically or if I hold it out front, which one makes a better sound? And so we did the practices and, and it's true that he still continues to ask kind of before every mass and, um, but he's getting there and you got to give him credit. This is a 12 year old kid who's come up from Southern Mexico and is helping out with our mass. But that's one of uh, one of the joys of of our celebration of the liturgy is getting to work with different people and have them participate in their expression of the faith. Uh, but the attendance at our masses can be varied because there's so much turnover. There's also a variety of people coming from a variety of different countries. So we do a little bit of a, a song and dance at the beginning where we do an intro and welcome them to the mass before we get started. And we ask them to raise their hands based on what country they're from. And we get a lot of people from Central America in particular. But more recently, we've been getting a lot of people from Haiti. And that sometimes poses a bit of a problem. There are many people from Haiti who speak some Spanish because of their experience, maybe in Chile or other parts of South America, maybe Central America or the Dominican Republic. So they do have the opportunity at times to learn Spanish or be around it. But very often, they and I are at about the same level, which is not very <laughs> high level of Spanish. Uh, and so it, it makes sense sometimes to have some translation into Haitian Creole. And so the sisters are very good. We we give the readings in Spanish, and then sometimes someone from uh, a, a Haitian man or a Haitian woman will get up and, and read the same reading in Creole. And most recently, we've done... Uh, translation of the homily, mm-hmm. which I'm just now, you know, I'm just sweating a little bit just thinking about <laughs> it because, you know, we're not from the UN. We're not used to having ourselves translated line by line. <laughs> we're, we're just, you know, two priests trying to figure all this out. And so we we just had, you know, the first time having um, having translation of the homily. And, and Sister Edith, who uh, came kind of came up with the idea and talked one of the Haitian men into doing the translation, who himself is very good at both Spanish and Haitian Creole. Um, she she was like, he's not going to do line by line. He's he's just going to do a summary. So don't worry about it. I was like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. So then we get up there and he's standing right next to me with the other microphone and he's attempting to do it line by line. <laughs> so I had to quickly, you know, luckily I had my homily written out because I have to have some text in front of me to follow along. And we were able to do that back and forth, back and forth. And honestly, it ended up being a very beautiful thing. I think people were able to understand the message was a simple message about, about trusting in God and putting our confidence in God and how God isn't using this time as a punishment, but that God is using this time as a, a way to lead us and guide us. So I think there's something about that, and that's always our homily pretty much, <laughs> but there's something about being able to speak that in a in a literal language that people can understand that, that maybe helps them get through that day or or that few hours. 
That's right. And that that's part of the the message of the Eucharist in general, you know, is how God God breaks into this world and he breaks into this world wherever we are, wherever the people of God are, and we are all part of that one church, that one communion. And so uh, how can how can the Eucharist be that sign and symbol for us? How can it serve as a bridge across borders and, and show our unity and faith that's so important and fundamental to our ministry, being here on the border, working on both sides of the border, seeing this kind of man-made political boundary that separates and divides us, and seeing how the Eucharist is a sign of unity that so strongly binds us together. And you know, Bishop Seitz in his own ministry and the work that he's doing in El Paso and Juarez and the, the groups that he has around him that assist in that ministry is really a great symbol for that, that 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 shepherd that brings people together, that Eucharistic symbol, that that gathering of the people and thanksgiving to God for his many blessings. And so so really we are we are humbled to have Bishop Seitz here on on the Jesuit Border Podcast. And uh, we're grateful that he He's spent time, and we're grateful for his example as a minister who's who's really trying to build those bridges across across the border. Yeah. So, without further ado, let's bring in Bishop Seitz in his interview. Just a brief disclaimer: we were recording this and uh, over a phone call, and so we have some audio difficulties throughout it. So you might hear some brief moments where it cuts in and cuts out or whatnot. But we apologize for that. But most importantly, we hope you enjoy this interview with Bishop Mark Seitz from the Diocese of El Paso. We are thrilled to welcome on this episode today Bishop Mark Seitz of the Diocese of El Paso, Texas. A native of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, he was ordained a priest in Dallas in 1980. He was made an auxiliary bishop in 2010 and then appointed as a bishop of El Paso in 2013, which of course is located on the border across from Ciudad Juarez. Great to have you with us on the episode today, Bishop Seitz. Good to be with you guys. Thank you for the invitation. You know, Bishop, just thinking about your own life and your own experience as a minister and and what you're known for now, one of the one of the biggest things you're known for is your advocacy for for immigrants and for those who are on the margins. And I'm just wondering if you as you look back in your history, as you look back in your experience, especially in those early days as a bishop, is there a time where where you felt like that really clicked for you? You know, the the social teaching of the church or your experience with people where it really came together and you saw that as as something that would would push you forward in your in your own ministry? In a certain sense, I have to say that my involvement in the issues of social justice it is not something new that just came when I was made a bishop. Uh, my primary involvement in those uh, areas really focused on the life of the unborn. I knew that I had to do what I could, speak for the uh, the rights of every person from the time that they were conceived and uh, until death, uh, but with a special focus in that area. But I noticed, actually, from time to time, I go back over homilies I gave 
uh, years gone by. And uh, I, I'm surprised and pleased in a certain way to see that I didn't limit my uh, uh, focus on, on that. I, 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 I kind of got it from that situation that we in the church have to stand for those who are vulnerable. We have to stand for the dignity of of the people that whose dignity isn't being recognized, respected, served. That that's fundamental gospel stuff. And and so, uh, thanks be to God, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't uh, allow myself to be to be thrown into one political ideology or another. Uh, I'll speak for the unborn, but not for the immigrant, not for the person that's a victim of racial prejudice or something like that. From a Catholic perspective, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, For us, uh, we have a a beautiful consistency uh, that admittedly we don't always express as well as we should, but but we've got to start there. And, uh, and so those issues have always been important to me. Now I find myself at the border. Never would have guessed it was such a, a blessing to be here and to see the life of this community and the way that a, a border can be. Uh, and it's um, a place that I like to say you can't live the faith and the abstract right and so these issues are in front of us every day and uh how could we be christian without responding in some way here i am that's right the 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 issues are right in front of you when you're when you're in the border in a border community in terms of issues of uh of immigration and justice and care for the vulnerable uh even Racial prejudices that emerge in those contexts. Uh, one of the one of the things that's marked your time as bishop that I found so striking has been the celebration of these border masses uh, that help to illustrate about how you know a, a border might be a man-made barrier between two countries or separating peoples. But there's something important about our faith that that unites us. And there's something particularly meaningful about the celebrate the celebration of a sacrament like mass that can speak to the unity of the body of Christ amid the divisions that we build among the people of God. So I wonder if you could comment a little bit on maybe some of the origin of that, that border mass and what that experience has been like in the years that you've uh, celebrated it. First of all, a word about borders that I've learned a lot about this since I've been in El Paso. Uh, I, I, like so many of us, considered borders a place of demarcation between nations, a place of confrontation, perhaps, uh, a place where armies would uh, be facing one another and so on. You know, I think a lot of us uh, Americans consider the border almost like a demilitarized zone, which really isn't, of course, right? Uh, where you have um, fences and barbed wire and mines or, or the Berlin Wall or something like that. But many borders, I, I would dare say most borders are not like that. Uh, they are places that Yes, they demarcate uh, where one country ends and another begins, but 
they're not places that have to be places of confrontation. They can be places of a rich encounter, uh, a, a place of a rich dynamism where two countries and cultures and even languages might meet, and um, where there there is obviously some uh, control about the flow, but more importantly, it's a place that allows some kind of flow. It's like a cell in the body, right, that uh, presents a, a wall that contains the cell but allows uh, things to go out and things to come in. Uh, that's the way the our border is. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place of encounter, uh, binational community. And so when we celebrate uh, an annual mass to, to mark that and, and to say, even in the midst of these continually more uh, uh, re restrictive barriers that we're building, we are still one community. We are still the people of God. We're still children of God. More unites us than what separates us. And um, we've been fortunate in recent years often to be able to actually celebrate that Mass right on the border. That's where the altar goes. Um, now, a lot of people might say, remembering their geography, wait a minute, there's a river there. Uh, well, there used to be a river there. In your part of South Texas, there's a river. But unfortunately, when the water arrives to the El Paso area, coming from the Rockies and through New Mexico, and uh, also having water drawn off by Mexico itself in an international agreement, there's not much left. And you, you know, it's about ankle deep most of the year. So, um, we can actually set up a little platform, and uh, our my brother Bishop from Juarez comes, a uh, brother from Las Cruces in New Mexico comes, and uh, we gather with the faithful on both sides of the river and and celebrate our unity. The um, you know I think that's such a beautiful image that 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 sharing of our faith, that sharing of the body of Christ, the, the communal worship and thanksgiving, the Eucharist being shared at the border. And, and that's been our experience too, that, that the border, you know, there are families on both sides of the border. It's a shared culture, a shared identity. And yet we have some of these more artificial entities that, that are being imposed upon that culture and that identity, such as the, the law of the United States currently with, with Title 42 enacted, with with the different uh, different systems that are in place that prevent people from seeking refuge in the U.S., and we we give a lot of our own perspective just on what we're seeing across the border because of because of people not being permitted to seek asylum in the ways that that they once were. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of describe that reality right now in Juarez from your own perspective. Uh, what what are people seeing? What it, What is it like um, as people are coming to the border? Are there camps in place? Are there people in shelters? Uh, what 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 are you seeing there? Well, we're seeing growing numbers of of people coming to our border right now. Uh, it is uh, hitting levels that. We, we haven't witnessed, at least in a long time, uh, 
and uh, the shelters in Juarez are full. Uh, and I do pray that everybody can find a place to lay their head and receive a, a decent meal and, and the like. Um, but it's, those resources are really being strained right now. And the same is true on the El Paso side of the border. Um, we've been averaging a, around 1,000 people every day crossing the border here. And uh, it has really uh, uh, challenged us because we, we don't want them to be left on the streets, women, children, you know, pregnant mothers, uh, their, their fathers, after having uh, gone through a perilous journey, fleeing from their homes, uh, we don't believe that our country um, should continue their suffering, you know, that uh, these people are, are seeking asylum. And there, there are, they're following the law, actually, that allows a person to make an asylum claim. Uh, so we're, we're working very hard to stand up resources in the church to, to receive them and care for them as they continue their journey. Yeah, talking about lar you know large numbers of people coming to the border and um, you know the strain on resources and things like that and the challenges put forward for the migrant journey based on you know politics and political policies. One thing I, th I feel like the church can help to offer in the midst of that reality and situation is a healthier understanding of migration. I might call it a, a theology of migration as we think about the. The, the, import, the, the, the importance and the fact of movement in our life, the spiritual journey that we're all on, but even the human journey that we're on that often involves physical migration. And so what, you know, what are your thoughts when you think about kind of a, a theology of migration and how that could kind of shed light and maybe, maybe open up our hearts and minds a little bit more when we, when we read stories in the news about migration that paint it very much in sociopolitical terms? What can a theology of migration offer to, to help us? Well, a theology of migration and of borders, if you will, is something I've come to see as a natural. You know, it's this is a place where some of our best reflection on the gospel can happen and where we can see uh, the deeper meaning of, of Jesus' teaching uh, and, you know, sp spell it out, live it out, uh, the uh, migration, of course, is the way that the people of God understood their uh, their relationship with him over centuries. They go back to the people of Israel and, and their flight from Egypt, right? Forty years in the desert. I think we're all familiar with that. Uh, it, it's deeply formed the people of Israel, that time in the desert, that journey where they um, 
developed their relationship with God often failed to be faithful to that relationship where God called them back again, saved them again and again from the various trials they faced and brought them to a land, to a new place to live, uh, where there would be security, a land of milk and honey, right? Um, so it's not like we're the beginning of this theological reflection. You know, it, it, what we've come to see is that this uh, a journey is one of the best ways we can speak of our life and its and its goal you know the the kingdom of god uh we can see how jesus uh whole ministry was encapsulated or the narrative was formed especially in the gospel of luke of jesus journey to jerusalem where his mission would be fulfilled. Um, so this is not new stuff, but Pope Francis has really assisted us to, re- to come back to these roots, if you will, and to recognize in people on the move, people who are living out the the call of God in a certain way and have so much to teach us because of their experience. I think that's such a a reminder of you know that that cornerstone of our identity as as a Christian people that we are a pilgrim church, you know we're a church on the journey, and and that's a that's not just some of us that's all of us you know and we're all on this journey together and and that collective that collective engagement with one another you know as we help one another on our journey is so essential to that identity. And so what I, I, you know, just a question that comes to mind, just hearing your own reflection is, uh, you know, who, who have you met? Is, is, there, is there a story that you have of somebody on their own journey, on their own pilgrim journey that you've been able to accompany or see that you'd like to hold up just, for, just to provide some, some even more depth to, to uh, how people understand the border or how people understand migrants? Is there a story of someone that comes to mind? Well, it's not one story, but so many, actually, you know. But I'll, I'll share one that is happening right now. Uh, we're receiving at this moment primarily asylum seekers from Venezuela. They're also coming from Nicaragua and Cuba. They are people we don't, from nations we don't have diplomatic relations with right now, and uh, Mexico will not receive them back. So we're receiving them in great numbers, and and many of them who are coming, unlike those who have come before them primarily from Central America or Mexico, uh, don't have sponsors in this country. So uh, they provide challenges. Uh, so several weeks ago, we received a family among the 50 that came to our shelter here at the Diocese of El Paso. Uh, This family from Caracas in Venezuela, uh, young mother and father in their early 30s, uh, two young children, four and two, the wife's mother, uh, grandmother, who's 70. And uh, the the wife is also expecting a baby and... uh, when they arrived after this grueling 3,000-mile journey, passing through this Im- imposing and 
terribly dangerous jungle called the Darien Gap. It's so it's so rugged and difficult that they weren't able to build the Pan American Highway through that piece of, uh, I believe it's Colombia and uh, Panama, about 70 miles long. They had gone on foot through there uh, with that situation. They arrived to us exhausted, tired, um, you know, just um, feet with blisters and, and all of this. And the mother then starts feeling pains and she realizes she's going into labor. So she um, uh, was brought to the hospital, had the baby by C-section and was told then you can't travel for at least two weeks. So we had to find a place for this family to stay uh, an unusually long period of time. Normally people are just a night with us or two. And uh, we were able to let them use uh, a little house that we had built for retired priests. We have we have eight of them here. And uh, then uh, when the baby uh, was about a week old, the baby started to develop an infection. It turned into pneumonia. As a, uh, as a matter of fact, right now as we speak, I just learned that last night the baby was... Um, is in intensive care and was uh, put on a um, ventilator. So um, I've I've gotten to know this family. <laughs> you know, um, uh, they're living here on at the kind of the compound where our diocese has its offices, and um, they're an amazing family of faith. Such faith. They tell me how they prayed every step of the way of their journey how they know that they couldn't possibly have made that journey without God's help. And now their, their vigil continues as they pray for this beautiful newborn baby who's named Adonai Kaleb. So they're, they're teaching me all the time with, with their perseverance, their faith, uh, the, um, the charity and joy with which they live their life. Um, they they were forced to live to leave Nicaragua. Uh, the husband worked for the government actually, and just couldn't do it anymore as that government becomes more and more a dictatorship. Um, and uh, uh, they they took the risk, and here they are. Um, and uh, for us, it's been a blessing to have them with us. Hearing stories of migrants' journeys and the way that they can touch and affect you speaks a lot to that that power of in, encounter or encuentro, as I know you've written about before, something that's so central, I think, too, to the pontificate of Pope Francis is that importance and value of encounter for which there's really no 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 adequate substitute right and and how much that that can bring conversion of hearts and minds and otherwise so i wonder if you could uh, elaborate a little bit on uh your own thoughts on 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 the importance of encounter and especially what that means in the in the context of immigration and your ministry uh in a border community encounter is at the very heart of our uh christian life of our spiritual life uh we want to encounter Jesus. We want to know him. We want to share his life. 
we want to receive his grace and help so that we can find a way through this perilous journey that we call life. And um, what Jesus has revealed to us is that uh, an encounter with him also implies an encounter with his brothers and sisters, with our fellow human beings. Uh, that it, it's not a one-on-one, me and Jesus, just, I'm just going to pull away from the world and, and okay, Lord, save me. Uh, I, I'm not going to think about all those others along the way. Uh, it's, it's you and me, Lord, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you try that kind of prayer with with Jesus. (laughs) He he intends to save us as a people, and we will be saved, and we will come to know God by knowing one another. Um, We are made in the image and likeness of God as, as baptized Christians, we present the face of Jesus Christ and we discover him in, in one another. Uh, we're called uh, to, that, to that life uh, of union with, with the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, which he has opened up to uh, the participation of, of all his people. So, uh, we're not going to be saved alone. We're not going to even know God alone. Uh, and and so we have an opportunity to know those who clearly reflect the face of Christ even more than others because of the way that they have shared in his suffering, because of the way they've come to trust him when they couldn't count on anything or anyone else, uh, because of their closeness to Jesus, they will be our teachers. Um, and uh, there is a blessing uh, to encounter them. Uh, I don't consider this work with migrants, uh, oh, no, you're putting yourself out and you're serving these people and things like that's not really the point i'm hoping to come closer to to christ and i'm hoping to help god's people here in the church of el paso and the church as a whole to to come to to encounter christ Not sure if you identify much as a football fan, uh, but growing up in Wisconsin and then uh, entering the diocese in Dallas, there's a fundamental question that I have to ask you, at least for my dad's sake, if not for other listeners, Packers or Cowboys? Well, I think that's one thing I want to ask the Lord about sometime, you know, (laughs) you know, uh, deeply uh, committed Packer fan would would ever end up in <laughs> in the home of the Cowboys. <laughs> a great mystery of life. <laughs> Another one of those. I, I remember one time when I was in the seminary, my brother had actually come down to the University of Dallas also. He and I had the opportunity to go to a game uh, where the Packers were playing the Cowboys. Uh, Texas Stadium was right next to the university. And um, we're there rooting 
for the for the Packers as they play the Cowboys. The Packers were one and five at that time, and the Cowboys were five and one. And um, so we're cheering, and all the people around us are sneering. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, uh, we or he, my brother ordered a banner, a Packer banner. The the salesman uh, was crazy Ray, if anybody remembers him. Uh, takes and he says, "You want this?" He throws it on the ground and stomps on it, you know, and then hands it to my brother. Um, but um, anyway, uh, it's been fun, that rivalry. And I actually came to the point where I could root for the Cowboys as long as they weren't playing the Packers. <laughs> oh, there you go. I mean, if that isn't a sign of unity among the division and the people of God, I don't know what is. That's really <laughs> such an essential image. There will be an icon of that one day. You know? <laughs> Well, Bishop Seitz, thank you so much for for joining us today on the Jesuit Border Podcast. Thank you for your ministry, for your witness to to true and authentic gospel values. Thank you for being for being one of those people that we look to as an example uh, to 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 continue in this ministry and to continue that 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 ministry of encounter, really, of accompanying our our brothers and sisters who are in who are in difficult situations. So, uh, yeah, just you you know, we're we're so touched that you took the time to to be with us today. It's certainly a pleasure to be with you. I'm, I'm so edified by your work too. So glad that that you're here in your early years of priesthood, uh, and calling, um, and bringing light to this important situation that is such an opportunity for us to renew our faith, all of us. Absolutely, great. Thank you. Well, that's our episode for this week. We're grateful to Bishop Mark Seitz for joining us. This podcast is edited and produced by the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to hear more about the U.S.-Mexico border from a Catholic perspective. We'll see you next week on the Jesuit Border Podcast. Nos vemos! That's it for this episode. If you want to learn more about Louie and Brian's work, we have some links in the show notes. And please subscribe to their podcast wherever you're listening. That way you can get the latest episodes straight to your feed. Thanks for listening.